I'm Jack Zemlicka, and welcome to this episode of our 2021 Precision Farming Dealer Podcast Series. In today's program, we get some academic insight into the evolving automation and robotics market in agriculture and the role and responsibility precision dealers can play. If this is your first time joining us, I'd encourage you to subscribe to this podcast series, currently available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, and Spotify. And a reminder that by subscribing, you will be able to get an alert when upcoming episodes in this series are released. I'd also like to introduce a new monthly segment brought to you by Trimble Agriculture that will feature insight and analysis into trending precision topics to consider within your dealership's precision business. Stay tuned for the first installment of the new segment during the podcast intermission. While with integration of automation and robotics rapidly reshaping the commercial business landscape, agriculture is an industry ripe for these advanced technologies to take hold. But how will stakeholders separate fact from fiction when it comes to transitioning today's manual tasks to automated outcomes? Michael Langemeyer and Michael Bolge with Purdue University's Center for Commercial Agriculture have a vision for how the next wave of technology could influence dealerships of the future. The two have written on the recent adoption trends in robotics and automation, forecasting the most logical entry points for adoption along with the most challenging activities to automate. In today's Precision Farming Dealer podcast, we share excerpts from our recent conversation with Langemeyer and Bolge on what role dealers will play in bringing next generation technologies to their customers, along with the types of skill sets needed to adapt to the changing farm technology landscape. I'm a retired professor uh, from Purdue University. I worked in the Center for Commercial Agriculture uh, with Michael and others, as well as the Center for Food and Agricultural Business at Purdue University. Been at various academic institutions around the Midwest. uh, not only Purdue since 1992, but uh, also uh, uh, Minnesota, Iowa State, uh, Oklahoma State. In addition to that, involved in uh, some farming operations, particularly in Iowa and Indiana. So uh, I get a chance to kind of take some of the ideas that we talk about and test them out in the real world and see if they work. And if they don't, we try to figure out how to make them work. And if they can't be work, we let people know that. Uh, so that's enough about me. Michael Langemeyer, Professor of Agriculture Economics. Uh, I've been at Purdue since 2012. Before that, I was at Kansas State uh, for 20 plus years. Uh, My primary areas of of interest are agriculture finance and efficiency and productivity, which is related to benchmarking financial performance. And so those are my primary areas of focus. And I work primarily with the Center for Commercial Agriculture. Thank you for the introduction, gentlemen. Um, I, I think uh, one of the, the interesting things here and, and, you know, one of the focal points I wanted to talk to both of you guys about was obviously what we're seeing today in precision agriculture and particularly the transformation towards automation and robotics. You know, things are happening seemingly very quickly, even though, uh, you know, it may, may not seem that way uh, in the field, but, but I know when you're talking to different companies and engineers on on how things are developing. It's moving quickly. And you guys put out a a perspective piece based on some research and sourcing, uh, you know, some other information and and materials, taking a look at uh, automation and robotics and and where things are today, where they're going. And, you know, for our our audience, I guess I just wanted to pick your brains a little bit more on on some of the content uh, of that perspective and thinking about um, 
a couple of aspects. And, and I think starting out, wanted to hear from each of you on, you know, where do you see the, the greatest opportunity right now with robotics and automation when we're talking about production agriculture? I'll let Mike start and then I will, I will go from there. Well, thank you very much, Michael. He, uh, he has this down very well in that he, he'll let me kind of drone on and on for a few minutes and then he'll correct me when I'm... Uh, <laughs> when I'm so so I, I think uh, we already see, I think, the significant advances in automation and robotics uh, in the harvesting activity as well as the planting activity. Those are the, probably the two areas where we uh, have the most potential. Uh, and then also in terms of of wheat control and chemical control, particularly in specialty crops that I think are going to be coming to uh, uh, to some of the field crops as well. Uh, so you see it in terms of auto cart, you see it in terms where, where it connects the, uh, the grain cart to the combine automatically so it can be run without having a, a person on board. Uh, you, you see it uh, uh, also in terms of things like uh, uh, weed control, et cetera, automation, you see it in planting technology, uh, so there's lots of different places where it's showing up, and specialty crops are probably the place where a lot of it is going to initially get uh, uh, field tested. Uh, some of the ideas that uh, will be useful there will then be transformed into uh, uh, the, the more typical commodity crop types of activities. My own belief is that uh, coming along fairly quickly and rapidly because the, uh, uh, the financial markets, uh, the investor capital markets, the entrepreneurial activity out of Silicon Valley has really, really uh, uh, found real interest in this uh, 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 area and uh, uh, seems to be leveraging the technology being used in the transportation as well as in the uh, aircraft industry to try to move this along fairly, fairly quickly. Yeah, one of the things, I'm, let me follow up on that. One of the things that's pretty exciting about precision agriculture is the payoffs are pretty broad uh, in terms of impacting producers agribusinesses, and, and the environment. So let me talk a little bit about those. Mike talked about the payoffs to agriculture, just the ability to be able to, to appropriately fertilize different spots in the field, to, uh, to appropriately uh, you know, change the seeding rates uh, in fields is, is extremely powerful in terms of improving yields uh, and, and perhaps saving costs, uh, improving efficiency, improving productivity, and so really helping the bottom line uh, for producers, but but it, we would be remiss, and we have talked about this uh, in, in, in a couple of our articles, we would be remiss if we didn't say this is also going to benefit agribusinesses, uh, specifically if, if a producer can, can, can document what they're doing in terms of certain practices, that's important uh, to, to someone buying that product because they can, they can then say to the customer, hey, my, my, the, the farmers I'm working with is doing X, Y, and Z and are able to document that. Precision agriculture is helping us do that. And in the process, hopefully the producer will get a higher price for their product and the person buying the product will get a higher price uh, you know, uh, in, uh, when they sell it to a food company, when they sell, they sell some of these to a food company or, or to manufacture feed. And so, and so it's, it's not just producers, it's also agribusinesses. And then as Mike, is, Mike and I have indicated, there's also some environmental uh, benefits here. If we can more fully document what we're doing, particularly with fertilizer applications, that's very helpful. Uh, and, and to show that no, you know, we, you know, this is this is what we're trying to do in terms of our nitrogen fertilization. Because of that, 
we're reducing nitrogen runoff and our or leaching of fertilizer in the soil. And so and so that's what's exciting about this precision agriculture is the benefits are pretty widespread. Right, and, and those are pretty compelling stories to tell, you know, both uh, at the end user level, but you mentioned, you know, from that agribusiness side of things and kind of rolling that industry into this a little bit more uh, specifically and, and I think intimately. Kind of playing off that a little bit, um, I was talking with a, a group of precision dealers not too long ago, and you know we had kind of gotten onto this train of thought about blockchain and food to table and kind of tracking you know the sourcing uh, you know where where food comes from and and being able to document that and you know being able to say like hey now I, I can have the data to support where this came from and and you can kind of use that as a, a great tool um, to kind of authenticate uh, you know the the source. Um, you know, one of the questions we were kicking around was what role, you know, do, do we see um, dealerships, a uh, precision egg specialist, for example, kind of playing in this chain here? And, and you know, where are they going to kind of fall in terms of responsibility and being able to enhance that value from start to finish uh, for their customer? And it was curious, you know, if you guys had any thoughts on, the role those kind of guys are going to play within, whether it's an equipment dealership or, or an independent dealership. We, we have done some work with some of the uh, machine and equipment manufacturers and dealers uh, to try to uh, uh, help them uh, do a better job and, and, and be more proactive in terms of exactly deciding how to, how to bring uh, precision technology to their, uh, to their customer base. So, um, I think they, they play a really critical role. Not only the, uh, the manufacturers play a critical role in terms of developing the technology and the R&D they're doing in terms of bringing this new technology along at a much faster pace than it would be otherwise. They're not only doing that with some of their not only traditional uh, engineering activity, but also uh, through uh, M&A um, uh, acquisitions of companies that, uh, again, uh, have focused on precision activity in other industries. And so that's been an exciting play that we see happening at the manufacturing level. At the dealer level, this is how that manufacturer uh, really, really moves uh, these new technologies uh, to the customer base. And so dealers are really, really, I think, uh, moving rapidly. And many of them are really excited about the opportunity that they see in terms of bringing to precision agriculture technology to their farm customer base. They're having workshops and seminars and demos and uh, uh, doing all sorts of things to, uh, to bring telematics uh, to, for example, their customers. So, uh, uh, and, and they're using it, in, dealers are using it in terms of um, uh, agronomic dealers and chemical dealers using it in their own equipment to, uh, to try to figure out how to do the scheduling, how to do the, uh, the uh, movement of their equipment uh, from location to location, how to do a better job of, of uh, even in some cases, 24-7 uh, application of fertilizer, seed, and chemicals and doing it more efficiently and effectively. And, uh, and as I indicated, moving their, their equipment from site to site in a more efficient and effective fashion. And uh, the same thing is, uh, is happening at the producer level, where we have multiple units. Uh, I was just out yesterday and 
saw 224 row um, planters working side by side in the same field. Well, actually, they weren't quite side by side, but they were sure, sure wanting to make sure they didn't run into each other. And that's a whole part of uh, what this whole thing is, is about, is uh, doing it more efficiently and more effectively and scheduling. And um, it's, it's, it's a brand new way of farming uh, from my perspective. And, and we see both uh, farmers and dealers uh, being uh, really uh, pretty proactive in terms of adopting this new technology. The, the surveys show that we're in kind of the ramp up stage of the adoption curve in this area. And uh, it's, it's coming much more rapidly than I think uh, in the recent, say, five to 10 years than it did for the first uh, 20 or so years we were talking about precision agriculture. Just a couple things to add to that, Mike and, and Jack. Uh, first of all, from a producer standpoint, technology can be a competitive advantage. And so, and so that the key thing there is for them to be convinced that this technology is going to add value. One of the ways that dealerships have been able to do that, and I think Mike, uh, you know, talked a little bit about that, but I want to bring that point home a little further, uh, is, is dealers have been hiring expertise uh, to help people set up the technology and also service the technology, just work with the technology, work with the data that's created with the technology. So that's one of the ways they can really help producers to start adapting these technologies because there's a, there's a different skill set uh, when you talk about the old technology versus this new technology. And so by hiring these expertise at the dealer level, you can get people to adopt these technologies a little bit quicker and they can see the advantages of these technologies a little bit quicker. One of the things that we talked about in the automation and robotics article uh, that I think has a lot of potential, and, and I don't know to the extent that they're doing this in agriculture uh, dealerships yet, but I think they will uh, down the road, and that's 3D printing of parts. Uh, you know, the 3D printers are becoming much more sophisticated, uh, you know, even uh, more efficient, uh, uh, cost less. Uh, and so I think that has a lot of potential because, uh, you know, as we talked about in the article, but, it, but uh, talking to farmers, this is also a very real issue. Any downtime you have during planting and harvesting, particularly planting, is extremely expensive. And so if we can get these parts out, parts out to these farmers quicker, uh, get the machine fixed quicker, uh, that that's that's worth a lot of money, and so I, I think that that particular technology has a lot of promise for dealerships. Uh, just a, just a, just a comment a little bit on that. This whole issue, uh, one of the payoffs that we talk about of precision agriculture is the reduced downtime. That's a uh, and and as we're trying to in in one of the articles, we we talk about the number of of ways in which you can reduce that downtime that a farmer faces. And the, with the concerns we have about getting uh, timely planting, particularly, uh, uh, but also harvesting, uh, this whole issue of downtime uh, reduction uh, by not only uh, uh, getting uh, machinery uh, uh, pre-prepared for uh, going to the field, uh, using telematics to figure out what might be a possible repair that needs to be made in anticipation of a particular breakdown during the critical period, but secondly, to uh, work at more hours, and uh, third, to get when you do need to repair, to get it done more quickly using 3D printing. Uh, those are all different ways that precision agriculture is going to increase the efficiency and get payoffs to both farmers as well as to uh, dealers trying to serve those farmers. And those are interesting comments, and and you know, we've certainly done some coverage of, of 3D printing and how that might play out, particularly within dealerships for certain parts. And I think you think about, you know, certain components, uh, particularly on the precision side. Now, maybe not necessarily, uh, you know, a full-scale universal terminal or, or a monitor, 
uh, rate controller or something like that. But when you're talking about, um, you know, a, a harness or something, you know, that obviously, you know, tend to be much more, uh, you know, immediate in need, you know, when something breaks or it's, you know, not available and you got to source one, you need one quick. And you mentioned the cost of uptime for farmers, you know, how incredibly valuable that is. Um, you know, the opportunity to potentially, you know, have something 3D printed, uh, you know, very quickly. Do you guys, you know, see that in, in kind of that context, um, you know, as far as sourcing those smaller components or those more, uh, you know, needed components on the precision side as a good inroad for, for 3D printing, particularly on the technology side? I don't think we see it yet uh, occurring in the field. Uh, at the level that we anticipate it will as we uh, move forward. So uh, I would be, uh, I think I would be a little bit hesitant to say, well, uh, let's, let's start doing that next week. Um, but I think what we, what we do know is that uh, as we put the, the, the our, our, as we think about this in other industries and how they're moving quickly to do these ideas and again, adapt and adopt what they're doing in terms of ways to move forward. Um, many of the studies that have been done in other industries show that there is real potential for uh, reducing the, the, uh, the delays in getting things out to, uh, to the individual customer uh, if, in fact, we don't have to worry about shipping uh, these items uh, across the country or across the world to get the job done. And so uh, uh, as we get the disruptions that we've seen in some of these supply chains due to things even like the pandemic or due to weather events, et cetera, uh, this will be able to, uh, to real-time do it, uh, parts, components, et cetera, uh, and do it locally, I think has real potential. Uh, and uh, again, the payoff is there for uh, very, very time-dependent uh, uh, activities like, uh, like farming activities. Uh, will it will it come next week? Will it come uh, next month? No. Will it come next uh, year? Well, it'll start. And will it come five years from now? I think we'd be surprised how quickly, uh, when things start ramping up, it will occur. Yeah. Well, we're going to have part. We're going to have uh, you know dealerships are going to have a, a large part store for quite a while yet. But but what what it really gets me excited about this particular technology is how fast that has moved. Uh, you know, talking to people, the three D printing. Uh, when, you know, it's fairly primitive, even uh, two, three years ago, it's really advancing quickly. And so, yeah, like Mike said, it's not going to be next week, but, but certainly five years from now, this could be very widespread if the technology continues to improve uh, like it has been improving. We'll get back to the discussion shortly, but I wanted to introduce a new segment we'll be featuring throughout the remainder of the year, brought to you by Trimble Agriculture. The series will feature perspective from precision experts on a range of topics, and today we start with some insight from Chad Fitzer, channel sales manager with Trimble, into farm customers' decision-making process when it comes to choosing the right correction signal provider. Chad, when we're talking about correction services, you know, when a farmer or dealer tells you they'd rather keep what they're doing, what they're working with in terms of uh, the brand and, and perhaps the reliability of correction service, how do you show them the switch is worth it when we're talking about CenterPoint RTX? It really depends upon what their experience is to date. If we're talking about somebody who's not been involved with corrections at all, which is really rare, normally you're talking to somebody who's working with WASP 
how we have that make sense is to just say, look, you're not getting the bang for the buck. You're driving all over the row and you know, you're trying to be within what, six to eight inches of accuracy and your inputs there, there's no repeatability in the middle of that. You're just basically drifting along. Why should I do RTX? It's because it's clean. There's not a high entry point. You have to buy a couple unlocks. You have to have a triple compatible display. And then you open up the possibilities to range point, typically to start. If their background is in nothing more than WAS, we can get them into range point and range point will get them four to six inch accurate. And the nice thing about range point as compared to WAS is that you come back from lunch and the whole thing hasn't drifted in the field. But range point's not our Cadillac service. Our Cadillac service is center point RTX. There's two different versions of that, fast and standard, but I won't confuse anybody with that right now. But basically, center point is now on par with the horizontal accuracy that, that you would expect out of an RTK solution. So you start talking about RTK level solution versus RTX is that it's repeatable, which means you can come back and hit the same spot within an inch off the line year to year. You have the accuracy, the pass to pass accuracy is now under one inch. And we have a price point that works at 1095 for fast or standard. Thanks, Chad. You can look for more coverage of this series online at precisionfarmingdealer.com. Let's get back to the program now and hear more from Langemeyer and Bolge on some of the different skills precision specialists will need to support robotic and automated technology in the future. Well, shifting gears just a little bit, one of the other uh, areas I just wanted to get a, a little bit more thought on, you guys outlined you know, some of the, the difficulties or the, the challenge areas potentially with robotics and automation, and that would logically involve you know, the management and supervision of people and, and activities that certainly center around that decision-making and, and the creativity. And you know, thinking about that in the... Uh, precision space and in terms of a specialist, you know, obviously there's a fair amount of that, you know, kind of in the moment improvisation that needs to happen in the field when, you know, they're on a customer's farm and in troubleshooting a technical issue and, you know, coming up with a innovative solution that, that maybe, you know, isn't in the manual and, and, you know, isn't something that could necessarily be automated. You know, I was curious just on that thought, you know, how you see, uh, the human element in, in decision-making kind of combining with that robotic problem-solving in that type of space. And again, this is kind of just, you know, more forward thinking and, and how things might be integrated into dealerships. But, um, you know, where, where, where could potentially that balance be between what uh, robotics and automation will be able to do from a service standpoint to what dealerships are still going to need, you know, from that human element? When you look at automation robotics, uh, you can separate it into at least three categories. Uh, one of those categories are things that are highly susceptible to automation, and I'll talk about what those things are. And then you have a couple, a, a, a couple, a couple of categories from that. Maybe things that are less susceptible, but we could automate someday. Those things that are the least susceptible to automation. Uh, when you talk about least susceptible automation, I'll start there. You're talking about things that are that, that involve creativity, leadership, supervising people, those kind of things are, are going to be very difficult to automate, uh, you know, quickly. Uh, so that, those things won't be automated right away. What will be automated is what, what uh, the authors, what a lot of people call predictable physical work. 
And so that's why the field, that's why we talk about field operations. Uh, you know, the autonomous tractors, the autonomous grain carts, those kinds of things. Those are things you could program, you know, with machine learning and, and, and other technologies uh, and, 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 and make possible fairly quickly. Another example is if you go to a store today, a lot of times there's not a person there helping you check out. And so that's another example, not from the agriculture industry, but from another industry that's predictable. It, it's, it's predictable type of work. Those things are going to be automated quicker uh, than, than things that are, less, that, are, that are less predictable. An example from agriculture that's less predictable is taking care of animals. Uh, animals always don't don't always do what you think they're going to do, and so it's it's harder to automate uh, automate uh, that that you know feeding feeding animals, for example, as it may be doing field operations. So, from a skill set or a, a capability capacity uh, perspective, uh, we 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 see significant increased uh, demand and and need for. Uh, people that have the capacity to kind of do the things that we're talking about in this area, uh, do the data analytics, do the analysis, uh, do the assessment, et cetera. And so what we see happening is increasingly uh, uh, staffing in this area. And we're, we're actually now in the university uh, environment uh, having uh, data, data analytics uh, uh, curriculum that we are putting together so that uh, not only will everybody have just kind of like they have a basic understanding of biology or basic understanding of physics or science generally, they'll have a basic understanding of, of data analytics and uh, moving it into uh, where we have specialization in this area. So, so we're starting to staff in this area. We're starting to train in this area. We're starting to educate people in this area. And so uh, what we see happening is uh, is having some changes in the skill sets that we're going to have within uh, dealerships as well as farming operations, uh, uh, where you're going to have people that are either internally trained and put in the position to be able to, to, to do the kinds of things that we were talking about in terms of automation and precision technology in general, and we're developing uh, outsourcing capacity. I mean, you know, uh, uh, some farmers are finding that uh, uh, it's better to uh, have somebody else help them uh, with their accounting and with their legal work. We're going to find increasing that same industry developing with respect to this whole area of uh, providing uh, uh, data analytics and information and assessment and prescription uh, uh, development, et cetera, to help them in their farming operations. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's going to change uh, dramatically the uh, the way we kind of manage farms and the skill sets we do to manage farms as well as to manage dealerships. Business opportunity for dealerships is, uh, is providing now uh, those services to farmers who are increasingly willing to share the information and the analysis uh, and need the analysis assistance. Yeah, I want to follow up a little bit on that. It's, it's really a change in skills. It's not necessarily that, that, we're, that we're eliminating all these people. It's a change in the skills needed. And so, and so I'll, let me go back to Mike's example. He's talking about the importance of data, data analysis, data analytics. Well, what skills did we, we need before? We had all these things. We had the need for that. Well, think about data entry and record keeping. Record keeping is so much easier today than it was years ago when we had people adding books. Uh, I still remember those days, and I know Mike does too, where we had all these people adding books. Well, it's just so much easier today with the, the technology we have, and also data entry. 
We had all these people that, that, that were, they were involved in data entry. Now, now, instead of those skills, we have skills related to analyzing data, uh, you know, and, 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 and so on. And so it's a change in skills that, that's, that's needed when you adopt technologies. So when you're in, in it, I really like kind of your, your breakdown, uh, you know, kind of trying to characterize it um, as those uh, predictable uh, jobs or predictable responsibilities that, you know, certainly lend themselves to, to automation or robotics. Um, precision, you know, at least my experience, you know, spending time with specialists in the field seems still very much unpredictable. <laughs> In, in a lot of cases, um, you know, you, you pull up to a farm and, you know, you hear the comment like, I really don't know what we're getting into here. So, I mean, I'm just curious, you know, from a farm level and, and maybe this is getting too specific, but, um, you know, in the future, is there a potential, you know, when uh, going onto a customer's farm, trying to diagnose a technical issue, you know, in the tractor, on the planter, some, uh, you know, precision uh, uh, issue that that needs to be solved. Um, are we going to see you know more automated solutions that can be deployed versus you know a, a specialist potentially having to spend you know four or five hours out there trying to solve a problem that it's just more of a a time consuming thing. Even though you know he's done it a hundred times, he knows how to do it. He knows what the the outcome is going to be. But it does seem like something that theoretically could be automated, you know, if there was a way to do that. And, you know, the specialist can say, all right, you know, you're in good hands here. Um, I'm, I'm on to my next next job. And, you know, I'll get an alert when this is done. And, you know, you'll be good to go. You know, I, I don't know, maybe that's a little too forward thinking uh, as far as what we might be able to see from that human. Versus I, I, I can address. I, I'll, I'll try to address that and turn it over to Mike. There's a learning curve with any of this, and so one of the things I think will happen is 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 there'll be a, there'll be a, there's a learning curve to using the technologies to diagnose, and and we'll get the technology will get better, but also uh, that information will be fed into fed into a, a, an information gathering system so that we'll have more information the next time we go to someone else's farm to diagnose a problem, if that makes any sense, and so. So there's a learning curve with using the technology, and there's also a, there's also the, the the machine learning is is also learning as it goes. Uh, what it what what it finds out on one farm uh, is in the system now, and so next time it goes to another farm, I can use that information that it that it that it gathered from other farms to help diagnose the the problem quicker. Uh, but the key thing for the dealer is to make sure you have the expertise to use that technology so you can diagnose those problems as quick as possible uh, and, and, make, and make, sure, uh, make sure that that's part of the process, entering that diagnostic information so it's easier to solve the next problem. So that's kind of my take on that. I'll turn it over to Mike. Yeah, and, and I mean, just to give uh, just real world examples of what we're talking about, that's what telematics is all about. Uh, telematics now with the computer technology we have and uh, in every, uh, uh, automobile, every truck, every tractor uh, uh, tells us uh, a lot about what's going on in terms of that piece of equipment and when there's a potential problem and when it's, and what the problem really is. I mean, uh, we've been doing this in the aircraft industry for decades. We've been using it in the railroads for decades now, uh, uh, trying to make sure that those uh, engines are functioning the way they're supposed to, et cetera, doing preventive maintenance before they 
break down trying to figure out what the problem is before it actually occurs and anticipate those problems. And that's common now, just absolutely common in the trucking and transportation industry. And it's coming to the uh, fairly quickly to the farming operations as well. So the dealerships are going to have a much better set of information before they even have to, in fact, maybe don't even have to go out to, to fix the equipment because they... Uh, They've already uh, anticipated that breakdown and repaired it during the, the non-operating uh, uh, season to make sure that uh, preventatively they have solved the problem before it actually would occur. Yeah, I think of cars. I mean, I, I, we have a Honda CRV, and, and this, is, this is like a lot, a lot of vehicles today. But if, but if, but if, if someone's on the side of you uh, and, and, you, and you, try to, you try to try to move in the other lane, it beeps at you. And so that that all the, the the automobile industry is really starting to use these technologies, and they're anticipating autonomous cars. I think that's what they're trying to do. Another feature it has: you, you, if you get too close to the vehicle in front of you, it beeps, and so it's got a two-second rule, and yet, which you can change. And and so those those kind of it, not exactly those examples, but but the technology is really moving rapidly, and 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 the the technology that's being used in the auto and airline industry will be used in agriculture. And to Michael's point, uh, we've now moved so it doesn't just beep at you, it actually steers you away. So the new equipment, yes, just to saw an ad yesterday of one of the new pieces of equipment out there, and it's common practice now for uh, uh, to, uh, 12, 21, uh, 22 uh, new models that it actually steers you away from that car next to you. Uh, it automatically uh, slows you down or stops you while it uh, rather than just warns you. That's the technology we see increasingly happen that's coming to farming. Last question I had for you, gentlemen, to, to throw at you was, um, you guys referenced, you know, obviously the uh, skill gap, you know, that we have. And uh, we've talked a little bit about, uh, you know, obviously the responsibilities, how those are changing. And, and it's not necessarily the elimination of people, but it's just the skill sets that are needing, you know, are evolving and, and what, particularly within dealerships, you know, those specialists and, and dealers are going to be required to do and learn and adapt to. Um, so when we're thinking about, you know, bridging that, that skill gap, you know, getting to the point of, you know, transitioning and evolving into, uh, understanding this automation, understanding the role that robotics is going to play and, you know, how is that going to be deployed on the farm? How is that going to be adapted into the dealership? was curious, you know, from both of you, uh, you know, who do you see as, as responsible then for, for filling that knowledge gap? Is that something that needs to be taken upon uh, by, by dealerships themselves? Is that coming from manufacturers? Is that being driven uh, by farmers and, and customers who are demanding that? I'll start with the farmers and then, and then turn it over to Mike for, for the dealerships. For, for the farmers, you really have several options. One of those would be to hire a new person that would be responsible for, for technology, you know, widely defined. And so that would be one approach uh, to, to, to solving this problem. The other one would be to retrain uh, someone that's already there, either an employee or family member, retrain them to, to work with this technology. And the third option is what you were talking about, have someone from outside uh, the business help them. And that's where the dealership uh, could perhaps come in. But, but, but every business has to decide whether they want to go, you know, hire the expertise like from a dealership or whether they want to retrain or, or hire someone. And so, and so that's going to vary from business to business. 
So the dealers that we've worked with and the manufacturers that we've worked with, and we've had the, have, the, have had the opportunity to, to do that, to basically see this as, as real, real potential for growth and expansion in their, uh, in their uh, uh, market activity. They see providing farmers uh, with this uh, knowledge and this information and this capacity and capability as a real uh, opportunity to grow their business. Uh, and so they're staffing up to do that. Uh, I mean, they are not only just uh, uh, hiring uh, people with uh, business management and marketing and, um, and sales capacities, but they're hiring people with a specialization in uh, digitization and digital analysis. And uh, uh, they're, they're actually, it's a really interesting. Some of them are, are uh, putting a combination of the, uh, uh, the classic agricultural sciences together uh, the agronomy, particularly, to help under, people understand how to grow uh, uh, crops and livestock, so that they can uh, uh, and, and uh, biology, so they can do a better job of uh, of working with their customers. They're combining that with uh, uh, information uh, technology and data analytics and uh, uh, computer skills that other industries have uh, uh, have used to uh, have much more meaningful ability to help their farm customers do a better job in terms of managing their business. So this is a, there's a new, uh, uh, new wave of hiring in this space. Some of them are trying to retrain their, uh, their older uh, generation uh, operators, but they're finding that uh, it's the new people that are coming out with these skills just as part of their standard operating procedure. Uh, uh, they've, they've learned to work with computers as kids and, uh, and gaming and other activities, and they find this exciting, and that's just standard stuff for them. Yeah, and, and follow up a little bit on that, Mike. A lot of farms aren't going to be in position to either hire someone full time. They're not large enough. Or there's other reasons too, or, or retraining. They don't necessarily have someone on the farm that they can retrain, or there's not someone coming back to the farm anytime soon that they can tell. When you're in college, make sure you understand this stuff. Uh, so they don't have that, and so they're going to be in the market uh, for, for this expertise, and that's why the that's why the the dealerships are getting excited about this. I think they're right. There's going to be several farms that just aren't in position uh, to either retrain or hire someone. They're going to have to rely on someone else uh, to provide that service. And we got to remember in agriculture, we have a lot of sole proprietors, and a sole proprietor can only do so much. And so, particularly in that situation where there's limited amount of people on the farm. They're going to have to hire the expertise. Yep. So real quick, just kind of playing off that comment, obviously, you know, with some of the other industries that are, you know, certainly maybe a little bit further on in, in this uh, automation and robotic field and, and agriculture is certainly, you know, developing that way. Um, you know, there's, there's obviously a lot more competition for the, these skill sets too, you know, and, and how this is changing and, you know, very sought after qualities, you know, in, in people that can, you know, kind of multitask and have, you know, a lot of these different uh, levels of expertise versus, you know, traditionally in a lot of dealerships, you know, you have your precision specialists and they're very much focused on you know, just the technology. They're out there and they're troubleshooting and installing and, and doing all that. It's, it's so much bigger now. Um, you know, I have to take the opportunity to ask the question, you know, from an academic standpoint and, and education side, you know, how well do you think universities and, and schools, you know, with the programs they have today are, are doing as far as kind of equipping these students and new graduates, you know, that are going to 
be attracted to or, or pursue opportunities, particularly within dealerships on the precision side? Um, are, do they have, you know, the, the, the foundation that they need to kind of slide into these roles? Or is that just kind of a cultural, you know, learned behavior like you were talking about, Mike, you know, just growing up in that kind of uh, environment nowadays and being much more acclimated to technology than the experienced uh, technician, you know, who's been at the dealership for, for 20 years. I, I think this is evolving. And so uh, this is a moving target and that that's what, that's what creates challenges for the dealers, the, the farms and, and academia, but certainly academia, they've, 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 we've done a pretty good job at the technical college uh, level of, of training diesel mechanics and, and, and other individuals like that. And there's a need for those people. And so, uh, and so I, to me, and, and it, I, I keep hearing that there's a shortage of those people, and so we need to encourage more people to get into that. But also at the college level, ag engineering, for example, at Purdue and elsewhere, trains people uh, on these topics, related to these topics. And so, and so there is people uh, being trained on this. That The key question, is there enough people? <laughs> and I, I don't think there is. Uh, and so that, that we're going to need to encourage more people to go into this area uh, and just talk to them about the opportunities there's going to be in agriculture and manufacturing for people that have this skill set. And we are, I think, uh, at the college level, uh, as I mentioned earlier, we are actually developing uh, two in two ways to try to uh, partially fill this gap. Number one is that uh, we're, we're actually kind of now uh, expecting almost uh, any graduate uh, in, in the College of Agriculture to have at least a, a, a data analysis and a skill set and a capacity that, that, that in this area that maybe uh, maybe they didn't have 20 years ago. And we have majors now in this area. We actually now have new programs in this area uh, that uh, that allow you to uh, to get um, not just uh, your classic agronomy or, or ag economics or engineering uh, type of degrees, but uh, actually uh, a data analytics uh, degrees. So we're doing two things, I think, to kind of uh, deepen the, uh, the understanding of, of our college uh, 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 graduates uh, in this area, as well as uh, kind of having the expectation of almost anybody that graduates uh, with a degree in agriculture, at least has some awareness and familiarity with uh, with this space. So I think we're moving, uh, and uh, we still don't have uh, uh, the ability to deliver uh, uh, because there is competition for this uh, 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 these skill sets in, in other industries. But I think we're moving. Uh, uh, it is a moving target, and we are trying to gear up to handle the moving target. Yeah, just to just to piggyback on that, you make a very good point there, Mike. Uh, every every curriculum is thinking about how to get more data analysis into the curriculum. Like in Ag Econ, we're focusing on what courses could we put some of these data analysis tools into. And so even if you don't have a data analysis degree, like, like Mike indicated, we're trying to incorporate that into the curriculum for all students. And so everybody that would graduate with Ag Econ would have some exposure to some of the key tools that are going to be needed in, in this data analysis area. And so uh, and, and so that's, that's really moving quickly. Uh, that's really gained steam just in the last year or two. Well, thank you to Mike Langemeyer and Mike Bolge for elaborating on the opportunities and challenges of expanding robotic and automated technologies in agriculture. I certainly look forward to your feedback on today's program, so feel free to drop me an email at jzemlicka at lessetermedia.com 
or give me a call at 262-777-2441. You can also keep up on the latest precision farming practices impacting your dealership today by registering online at precisionfarmingdealer.com for our free PFD daily e-newsletter. Well, I hope that you'll join us again for the next episode in our 2021 podcast series. For Mike Langemeyer, Mike Bolge, Trimble Agriculture, and our entire staff here at Precision Farming Dealer, I'm Jack Zemlicka. Thanks for listening.